This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time this morning. Uh, Obviously, the uh, news yesterday of Tiger Woods' car accident, it's something that, uh, well, it led to national news last night. It led... Uh, all the morning talk shows this morning. It's something that uh, everybody's going to be talking about for months. Um, it really is. And, and uh, everybody, you know, of course, everybody starts speculating now. Is Tiger Woods ever going to play golf again? And at the end of the day, uh, my, my reaction is, uh, you know, who cares? Now, I say that being a guy who has loved watching Tiger play his entire career. Now, you know, Jack Nicklaus to me is still the greatest golfer of all time. Um, but Tiger Woods brought the sport of golf to the masses in ways that nobody else ever did. You know, the fact that he's black and he brought that sport to that portion of our society made it so that all of a sudden black people were like, Hey, I can play this too. You know, I saw, and I'm not a big Stephen A. Smith fan, but he talked about that yesterday when ESPN finally, by the way, ESPN finally decided to to break in uh, to talk about what had happened. But Stephen A. Smith made a point of, you know, hey, all of a sudden it was okay for black people to play golf. You know, all of a sudden you have basketball players and football players and all different kinds of people taking up the game of golf because of Tiger Woods. You know, and uh, but at the end of the day, whether he plays again or not is immaterial. To me, the best part was that, you know, when I saw the news that he was in a car accident, I, mean, I just saw a thing that came up on my on my iPad that he had been in a serious car accident. I'm like, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, please, God, let him be alive. I mean, that was my first thought was, you know, I hope this isn't another, you know, Kobe Bryant situation. Please let him be okay. Yeah, and and the good news is is that he's going to survive. The bad news is is that he had multiple uh, fractures to his bones, to bones that were fractured in places, in so many places that they literally had to put a rod in his leg to piece it back together. They've had to put screws and uh, into his ankles, and uh, you know, look, this is as bad as it gets. You know, they said that at one point. Uh, one of the bones had actually broken through the skin. It was sticking out. I mean, just, I can't, uh, it makes me queasy just to think about it. So uh, he was in surgery for hours. And, you know, but thank God he's alive. You know, and I don't uh, I don't care if he plays golf again if competitively. I'd like him to, obviously. You know, but th- to come back from this might be impossible for anybody. It's 
let alone a guy who has already had, what, five back surgeries, including one back on uh, just before Christmas, um, that kept him out for a couple of years. And even after that, I mean, you know, he, he won the Masters in 2019, which was one of the greatest comebacks ever considering all the health issues that he had had. Uh, but even But after that, he still was dealing with different things, be it the back, be it, you know, whatever, uh, for month after month after month, there was always a question mark whether he was going to be able to play again. Um, so, you know, whether he plays again competitively or not isn't the point. The point is, is look, he's got two young kids. You know, he's got a chance to be a dad, uh, you know, and, and if he only is able to play recreationally with his kids for the rest of his life, then so be it. So be it. Um, you know, uh, interesting comment from Carson Daly this morning on the Today Show. Carson Daly actually grew up with Tiger Woods in California. They played together uh, from the time they were kids. Carson Daly's a hell of a golfer, by the way. And he and Tiger are friends. And one of the things that was uh, interesting this morning is Carson Daly already said he can already picture Tiger if somebody, you know, laying in a hospital bed, if somebody said to him, you know, you're going to plan to play golf again. He would just look at you and wink because that's tiger. You know, he said tiger is part of what makes him so great is his competitive spirit and his desire to want to beat the odds and to want to do things. People say that you can't do. And so if anybody can come back from this, you know, he would be the guy, but he's 45 years old. I mean, you're, you're already, you know, pushing the, the limits of, you know, how competitive you can be on the PGA Tour at 45, even though he's Tiger Woods. You know, uh, John Rahm, I think, uh, one of the a PGA golfers said it best yesterday. He said, look, I, he said, I just hope he can get out of the hospital after recovery and still play with his kids and have a normal life. You know, because the, the biggest question, you know, the look, the, the leg bone, the, the tibia and the fibula, will, they'll heal. They're big bones and they will heal. They've got the rod and the issue is going to be the ankle. That's the, that's the, the dicey one. So, but we'll see, you know, and, uh, but thank God he's alive and thank God. And, and I, I hate that I even say this, but thank God that it looks like there was no impairment involved. There was no, uh, the deputy that showed up on the scene first, you know, said, look, you know, there was no smell of alcohol. It was seven o'clock in the morning. I would hope not, but you know, there was no signs that he was doped up on painkillers or anything like that. So there was no visible signs of impairment. Thank God. And I hope that if there was any blood work done and they run toxicology, I hope to hell that we don't find out that there's anything. And, and, and I want to believe that there's not. You know, I think Tiger learned his lesson when, uh, what, a few years ago when he got in a car crash, when he was trying to self-medicate and was on like, you know, four, five, six different drugs trying to self-medicate from back pain and, uh, you know, had a car accident. And so let's hope that, that that's not involved. What bothered me yesterday, and, and I, I, should, I should have known better, you know, but I'm watching this was, you know, I'm watching the, it comes through. So I want to go and I want to get the latest information. So what's the first thing that I do and shame on me being an idiot. The first thing I do is I turn to ESPN because ESPN is the worldwide leader in sports. Are they not? Well, obviously not because they weren't on it at all. They had a basketball show on and they, you know, CNN, MSNBC, 
they had, that's all they were talking about. They were on live and, and, uh, they had, you know, all kinds of talking heads talking about the golf channel was on it. Nothing on ESPN for about a half an hour crickets. And then suddenly, you know, ESPN shows up, you know, and finally they decide to go live and, you know, but you know, I, I said yesterday, ESPN has stopped being a news organization a long time ago. You know what I mean? I mean, they stopped uh, being credible in terms of uh, breaking news or covering sports a long time ago. Yeah, okay, fine. They, you know, they do their games and whatnot. But, you know, you remember when Sports Center used to be a thing you used to turn to every night to get the sports news? Now it's just all opinion stuff, crap stuff. It's just noise. You know, people yelling at each other and everybody's got an opinion and we're going to, you know, but it's not straight up news anymore. It used to be. I got a, you know, Sports Center was like a must watch every night. Remember, you know, the the late night Sports Center, like eleven o'clock. I was watching that every night. Now, no. You know, because you know they might show you a highlight or two, but then you get five minutes of analysis. How about we just, you know, instead of, bah, whatever. But anyway, so. You know, but anyway, so I decide because ESPN doesn't have anything on and I can't listen to the people on CNN and MSNBC who, quite frankly, don't know crap about golf. You know, they just know Tiger Woods, the celebrity, and I'm listening to them and I'm rolling my eyes going, oh, my God. You know, how about getting somebody on that knows what they're talking about? But so I decide and that I'm going to turn on Twitter because Twitter's always on top figure. Twitter's always on top of stuff. You know, you're going to you're going to. You know, any news that breaks, all the reporters will be on there and you'll see it. Well, and that is true. But along with that, of course, you get the trolls. You get the people that just want to crap on people because that's what they do. You know, immediately, I wasn't on the on Twitter for 30 seconds. And people are like, yep. He was doped up. No, no doubt about it. He was either drunk or he was, you know, uh, on pain pills or, you know, here we go. You know, this, you know, everybody wants to tear down big people. They always want to do that. It's, you know, we love our heroes in the United States. But the th- that's, you know, but we also love to tear down our heroes. You know, it, it's one extreme that you either idolize or you're looking to find a way to, to crap on them. And, man, Twitter was, you know, in full force yesterday. This it was a moron from uh, Barstool Sports, which, by the way, Barstool Sports, if you take that seriously as a sports organization, you're an idiot. You know what they are? They're, they're a comedy. But you got this idiot from Barstool Sports yesterday talking about that it was fake news. Accusing, you know, that, that suddenly that, that somehow Tiger staged this, uh, you know, because uh, he wanted sympathy or, you know, he's trying to come up with a reason why he couldn't play. And then he doubled down on it saying that it was uh, not just Tiger in on it, but that the, uh, uh, the sheriff's department was in on it too. I mean, are you kidding me? And people, you know, there are millions of people that follow these barstool idiots. You know, and I, I admire Dave Portnoy, the the founder of Barstool Sports, for what he's doing for restaurants and stuff during this whole pandemic. I think that's admirable. And the thing he does, the pizza challenge thing he does, the one bite challenge is is it's humorous, interesting. 
but Barstool is an organization. You cannot take them seriously when it comes to sports coverage. And to have this moron do this was reprehensible. I hope he gets fired. But, you know, the trolls, it was just pissing me off. And then, you know, and then you have some voices of reason in there basically saying, hey, look, the only thing we should be talking about right now is whether Tiger's going to survive or not or whether he's going to be able to walk or whether he's going to be able to be a dad. How about we worry about that, you know, and keep your, keep your crap to yourself when you have no facts. It's one woman that, that I follow on Twitter, you know, was like, uh, I turned to my husband immediately. One car crash. Yep, definitely alcohol or drugs involved. What the hell do you know? You know, you come to find out this is some winding road and, you know, in California, and it's a place where there are accidents on a regular basis, you know, and, you know, maybe he was driving too fast. They think speed was a factor that he was driving too fast, or maybe, you know, who knows, maybe he was talking on his cell phone or maybe he was texting. I don't know, but it's, it's a place where there's a lot of accidents. It's not like, you know, he was on a straightaway and flipped his car. You know, but these Twitter troll, it just, and I, so I should have known better than to go there, but I figured out, you know, and I did get some, you know, news, you know, stuff was coming down, uh, fast and furious when you find out it was leg injuries and that is, you know, when you get the stuff from his agent and it was on Twitter faster than it was on the network news. But, you know, along with the, the news that you could find out on Twitter, then you, you know, then you get the idiots and the people that just want to pile on. I hate those people. I really do. So, you know, you know, so now, of course, everything this morning is now that we know he's okay and he's, he's going to recover, but it's going to be a long recovery. You've got rods in your legs and, you know, pins and screws in your ankles. And, you know, this is, he's going to have to learn how to walk again, you know, but of course everybody wants to start talking about whether he's going to play golf again. And, and again, yeah. I think we'll see him again. You know, will he ever win again? Probably not, but I think we'll see him again. I think he's going to come out and try to play again just to show people that he can. Uh, back in uh, nineteen, in the nineteen early 1950s, late 1940s, I can't remember the exact date, Ben Hogan, one of the great names in golf, was in a car accident that nearly killed him. And he eventually came back. Uh... You know, he had multiple uh, injuries in this car crash, but he eventually came back and played well and won a bunch of tournaments, you know. Um, but he was also, you know, in his early 30s, mid-30s at the time, you know, and he hadn't didn't have all the abuse and uh, surgeries to his body that Tiger had had. Uh, but Ben Hogan did it. You know, I could see Tiger coming back and just proving, just to prove to people, yes, I can. Whether or not he'll win again or not, I highly doubt. But even if he doesn't tee it up competitively ever again, you know, I'm just I just hope that he can live a normal life. Uh, you know, uh, it's it, and look, you know, part of the part of the speculation every week is you know where's Tiger? Is he going to play? I mean, he moves the needle. You know, he has been as important to the game of golf as anybody ever. He is, look, Jack Nicklaus to me is the greatest golfer of all time. Tiger Woods is the most impactful golfer of all time because, as I said, about bringing it to the common man, to the, to the black audience, to people, to minorities that thought that golf was a stuffy white man's game for rich people. 
And all of a sudden, you know, he opened it up to a whole bunch of people that never thought that golf could be for them. So I think he is the most impactful golfer of all time. And if he doesn't play again, I mean, golf isn't going to be the same. I mean, of course, golf will go on. The PGA Tour isn't going to fold up tents without him. But not having him there is going to be weird. You know, when Jack Nicklaus finally retired from the regular PGA Tour, and he played on the Senior Tour for a little while, but when Jack Nicklaus was no longer a name that we saw, it was odd for a while not seeing Jack Nicklaus's name uh, teeing it up every week. It's going to be odd not hearing, you know, hey, Tiger's playing this week. Or speculating whether he's going to play or not because we know his career is over. And, and again, whether he does or he doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is is that he's, his, his young son, uh, who he recently played in a father-son tournament with, was one of the cutest things ever to see them in their matching uniform <laughs> outfits. And uh, his son's a pretty good golfer. And, uh, you know, what a great thrill it was for Tiger. So if, if he is, you know, relegated for the rest of his career to kind of being a golf ambassador, maybe he's, you know, a guy who is uh, the Ryder Cup captain or the President's Cup captain, you know, on a periodic basis and becomes an ambassador for the game of golf. If that's what's left to him and watch his and help develop his son, if he continues to want to play golf, if that's what it is, great. You know, because as parents, if we can make things better for our children and we can help, that's what we do. And that's, he's no different than any other parent. So that's what I hope for him is that he's just able to live a normal life and, I'm just thankful that he is still alive. And uh, I am even more convinced now that Twitter is hell on earth. I mean, it's just what a cesspool. I wish I didn't need it. I wish I, you know, it, it, for this station, you know, look, we're a small Internet station, you know, and, and I am very thankful that, you know, we get, you know, couple of thousand people that listen to this station every month. I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. But without Twitter and without Facebook, the word doesn't get out. So, you know, it's not like I, I, I'm taking out newspaper advertising uh, to let people know about my station. So I have to do it that way. I wish there was another way, but there isn't. So along with the, uh, the good of, you know, letting people know about this station and about this show and, you know, so I get to uh, talk to people like you then, uh, you know, it wouldn't be possible. So I just have to recognize that you got to take the good with the bad, as we do in so many things in life, right? Uh, but, man, what a what a cesspool that, that, that it is. So, all right, um, let's move on. Uh, the UConn men last night started out their game against Georgetown, looked like they were ready to not only get to the NCAA tournament, but they were ready to get to the Final Four. Uh, they b- jumped out to a 10 nothing lead against Georgetown last night, and it looked like, uh, look out, you know, Georgetown, you're in trouble. And then for the rest of the first half, after that 10-0 run, UConn looked absolutely lost. They scored 16 points the rest of the half. They trailed at halftime. They shot like 34% in the first half. Couldn't have hit water if they fell out of a rowboat. They turned it over 11 times in the first half. You know, just looked, uh, you know, so after a 10 nothing lead, you're like, holy, what the hell happened? It was, uh, you know, it would, they looked like a different team for the next, you know, 16 minutes. 
They come out in the second half. Now it's, you know, a one-point game at halftime, and, you know, they're battling back and forth. Finally, UConn takes control of the game in the second half. They end up shooting 56% in the second half. They win it by 13, a game that they had to have, a game that was probably a little bit more difficult than it should have been. But uh, James Booknight had 20 points last night, 14 of those in the second half. R.J. Cole had 17 points last night, 14 of those in the second half. You're going to get the trend here. Whatever Danny Hurley said at halftime uh, <laughs> did the trick. Uh, Isaiah Whaley, another big game. Uh, he did foul out, but he had uh, eight points, seven rebounds. Uh, Adama Sanogo, another strong game in the middle, eight points, seven rebounds. Uh, UConn did something that nobody's done to Georgetown this year. They crushed them on the boards. Georgetown was leading the Big East in rebounding margin. UConn out-rebounded them last night, 46-30. to 46-30. to 30. Um, and, and a lot of those were offensive rebounds. I think UConn had 18 offensive rebounds last night against the best rebounding team in the Big East. So that was a big part of it. Um, so a, a good win for the Huskies, a win they needed to have. Uh, that takes them to 11-6. and six. They're 8-6 and six in conference play. Their next game is against Marquette, and it'll be at home uh, Saturday. Another game that they have to win, a Marquette team that is beatable. You can't, can't afford to stumble here. You know, they are on the bubble. They're on the right side of the bubble. But, you know, losing a bad game to a Marquette, they have to play Georgetown one more time too. I mean, Georgetown's, what, 7-11, and 5-8 and eight in the conference. You can't lose to those teams and get in the NCAA tournament, especially in a year like this where things are so strange. You know, and the, the NCAA committee is going to have a hard time, you know, separating the apples from the oranges, you know, and trying to compare the two. It's not going to be easy. But a good good win for the Huskies last night. I, at the end of the first half, I was concerned. You know, when they went up 10 nothing, and all of a sudden they became the Keystone Cops, I was really worried for them. But uh, Danny Hurley did a good job rallying the troops, and uh, hopefully they can keep it rolling on Saturday uh, against Marquette. Uh, not a good night for the Celtics. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a uh, Wednesday morning. You know, I was, <laughs> I was just thinking, I was uh, thinking about the idiots on Twitter, you know, the trolls that were, you know, assuming that Tiger was drunk or high or whatever and, uh, and just what a cesspool it is. It, it, the number of morons on social media, and like this idiot from Barstool Sports, I, I try to remember it's KFC. I think he goes by, you know, but trying to say that that uh, this was all like it was a hoax, and that uh, the the uh, <laughs> that the sheriff's department was in on it. You know, I mean, those there's so many of those people out there. It's unbelievable. Think about this. Did you see this? People on TikTok are trying to prove that the snow in Texas is fake. I'm not making this up, folks. There is this wave on social media, not just on TikTok, but other social media, that that, that the whole snowstorm thing down in Texas was all a, uh, a government 
fake thing to try to, uh, uh, you know, bring out uh, the, so the Biden administration can uh, show you, see, this cold climate climate change thing is real, you know, would, you know, so that it's a government conspiracy. This wasn't real snow in Texas. And how are they trying to prove this? You know, they're they're on TikTok. They're taking a hairdryer uh, or a match to snowballs or, or chunks of snow and saying, well, see, it doesn't start, you know, it doesn't turn to water. It's not dripping. So that means it's fake snow. It's not real stuff. Folks, most snow, believe it or not, does not just turn to water when it when flame is introduced to it. There's a there's a process called sublimation. And what happens is is a lot of it turns to gas. It evaporates. Sublimation. It's a scientific fact. It is not the government did not go around. If you've seen all the pictures in Texas, how is the government going to go around and put all this fake snow down over miles and miles of miles? Because it's because uh, Joe Biden uh, wants to get everybody on board with his uh, his climate uh, climate change uh, policies. I mean, are you kidding me? It's this this conspiracy theory stuff that we have in this country. Uh, you know, it got worse, you know, with with Donald Trump in office, because then every right wing nut job, you know, I mean, look, we still have people that think that we didn't land on the moon. All right. I mean, it's just we didn't land on the moon, but but we can we can do all this stuff in Mars. And so people are buying that. But we didn't land on the moon. That that had to be made up. But I mean, honest to God, social media is just the worst fake snow in texas tell that to all the people down there that have have water pipes that have burst you know or that uh, all the places where they don't have where they have to boil water or they have to use bottled water you know because the the water systems are, are screwed up and you know tell that to those people tell them that it's a conspiracy go ahead that in tech, you go 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 to Texas and say that to somebody whose family is struggling right now, and you're liable to get one right between the eyes. <laughs> uh, Jesus God. Uh, anyway, all right. So the Celtics last night. The I am at a loss. I have to be honest with what's going on with the Boston Celtics. I watched a good portion of this game last night including the last four minutes where the Celtics made a furious charge. The Celtics were down 11 with three minutes to go in this game. 11 with three minutes to go. And they put on a furious charge. Uh, Jalen Brown got him ahead with a jumper in the final minute. So they erased that 11-point deficit. They had a lead, and then Luka Doncic just crushed him. He hits two threes in the final minute, including one with a tenth of a second left. And Dallas beats the Celtics 110 to 107. Boston is now a game under 500 with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker on this team. You know, it is mind boggling with three of the, uh, you know, 
top guards in the, in the league. You know, two of them, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, were both just named to the All Star team. Or not, I mean, uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown were named to the All Star team. Kemba Walker has been an All Star in the past. You know, but this is a Celtics team with those kind of that kind of talent. You're going, how the hell are they 15 and 16? Well, I've said it all along. If they don't do something to address their problem in the middle, the fact that they can't defend in the post and they're forcing their guards, you know, to have to play more post defense and not able to extend as much out on the perimeter to challenge jump shots. Although I will say this, they did challenge both those jumpers to Doncic last night and he buried them with guys in his face. But the Celtics have to do something. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Look, they have a huge salary cap ex- exemption uh, that they can use. They have to use it, I think, by the end of next year. I don't know whether they'll use it this year or not. But they've still got a bunch of draft picks in their pocket that they can go out and use to try to make a trade. They've got to do something to address their inside play. You can't continue to rely on Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown to launch bombs because it's not working. Look, Jason Tatum scored 28 points last night, but he was 10 for 23. Kemba Walker had 21 points last night, but he was 8 for 19. You know, the Celtics, you know, this is the other problem with the NBA. that it, It's so three-point reliant these days. The Celtics took 39 threes yesterday. They only hit 30% of them. It's not good enough. They're relying too much on the outside shot. They're not getting to the line because they're relying on the outside shot so much. When you can't work the ball inside because you don't have good post players, you spend a lot of time just jacking threes and hoping you get fouled. You know, and look, Tatum and Jalen Brown are both capable of taking the ball to the hole, but these guys have fallen in love with the jump shot. You know, and they're they're just they've got to do something. And 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 I don't know what that looks like. But Danny Ainge, you know, let traded Gordon Hayward. You know, getting Kemba Walker is a nice get, but to me, Gordon Hayward would have been a more useful player on this Celtics team. Just my opinion, and this is nothing against Kemba Walker. I like Kemba Walker a lot, UConn kid. But the Celtics are a mess. Now, you can also say, well, Marcus Smart is out. You know, he's still dealing with that calf injury. There is no word on whether he's going to, you know, when he's coming back. You know, that's a piece of it. You know, perhaps, you know, he's your best defensive player and you haven't had him for weeks. That could be a piece of it. The problem with Marcus Smart is is he's their best defensive player, but he also thinks he's LeBron James and, you know, does ridiculous things on the offensive end of the floor quite often. So, again, it's kind of taking the good with the bad. But it's a it's not a good a good feel for this Celtic team right now. They were supposed to be one of the uh, three or four best teams in the NBA. Right now, they're about the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, it's it's a mess. Uh, they play again tonight. They're in Atlanta tonight to take on the Hawks. It's their third time they've actually played the Hawks in the last eight days. Uh, the Celtics won both the games in Boston last week. Um, they better get one tonight because, it, I mean, it's just uh, it's a free fall 
in Boston. So, um, college basketball last night, in addition to the UConn game, the Baylor men had been off uh, for, for quite a while. They finally came back last night. They stay undefeated. They go to 18-0. and They beat Iowa. It was a struggle. Uh, they've been off for just about three weeks. They beat Iowa State last night, 77-72. to uh, First time, by the way, in school history that they have ever been 18-0. and uh, Connecticut kid, Mike McGurl. He's from Ellington, Connecticut. And uh, I actually coached his father, Pat McGurl, at Western New England College in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, Pat was a, a pretty good player. Uh, when I was there, and his son Mike played at Ellington High School, ended up getting recruited by Kansas State. Last night, Kansas State upset number seven Oklahoma, sixty-two fifty-seven. Mike McGurl led the way for K-State with nineteen points. He had three threes in the final minutes, and uh, uh, it's been a long year uh, for Oklahoma State. I want to say they're seven and fourteen, but they take down fourteen and five Oklahoma last night. Uh, thanks to Mike McGurl, so that was nice to see. Uh, Villanova with another win last night. Uh, they ran St. John's out of the building, 81-53. to Villanova now 15-3, 10-2 in the Big East. And UMass, if they've got a couple of games left. If they had won both of them, they could have won uh, the A-10 title, but they lose last night to Richmond, 79-65. to So uh, UMass was looking for its first A-10 title in quite a while, uh, but uh, – doesn't happen. All right, let's get to some baseball stuff. And this was, uh, you know, I had heard about this in the past, but I, 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 you know, I didn't know that Fernando Tatis was involved. But you know, Tatis just signed that fourteen-year deal for three hundred and forty million dollars. Well, we come to find out that a portion of this money is not going to be his. It is going to be going to a company called Big League Advance because when Tatis was a prospect, a minor leaguer. He dealt with this company called Big League Advance that works with prospects who are making no money and they give them an advance on future earnings. Now they're taking, from Big League Advance's perspective, they're taking a chance on these kids and then they, uh, the kids for this money say that you're going to get X percentage of future earnings. For instance, uh, Padres catcher Francisco Mejia, young kid. Uh, he got money from BLA in 2016. He received $360,000 from BLA, and in return for that, Mejia agreed to pay the company 10% of his future earnings. Well, he then tried to sue BLA, saying that, you know, that it that he didn't want to have to pay it. And the court said, uh, no, no, you do because it's legally binding. They gave you $360,000. This is what you agreed to. Now, I don't know that whether Fernando Tatis's was 10% or not, but let's say it is. That would mean that 10% of this, uh, of his $340 million is 34 million bucks would be going back to BLA as a return on their investment. Now, we don't know exactly how much money he got from them, but the average player gets about $350,000 from BLA. And they're, they're involved with, uh, they've invested in 344 players over the years. 20 of them they signed in the last couple of months. And the vast majority of those guys are not on 40-man rosters. 
So, you know, they're taking a chance. Uh, they're, the, they, they started with $26 million, did BLA, back uh, when they were founded. And uh, they invested in 77 players. 83% of those were outside the top 300 prospects when the players were signed. So from BLA's standpoint, look, you know, we're we're helping out these kids that don't make any money in the minors. And so, you know, and, and if they don't make it, we don't get any of that money back. Um, and now, of course, other people are like, well, this is, you know, this is predatory. You know, it's like predatory lending. You know, uh, Tatis said that, you know, it was a family decision, something they did. And he and when he did it, he said he signed the deal with BLA to be able to afford a personal trainer, better food, better housing, et cetera, et cetera, so that he could, you know, improve his chances of making the major leagues. It worked. So for, even from Tatis's, uh standpoint, if it costs him $34 million bucks. Okay, well, he's still going to get $306 million over the next 14 years. It's not chump change. You know, there are a lot of people that are screaming about this. I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. It's no different than if you go to a bank and say, I want to take a personal loan out because I want a better house and I want better food. And I want, you know, I mean, it's no different. It's just working with uh, a, not a bank, but, you know, with an investment firm, essentially. You know, and I don't know. And I, I was, I looked into this as much as I could, and it, there's no indication where, like, if, like, let's say a, a player gets three hundred fifty thousand dollars and doesn't make the major leagues, I don't think he has to pay anything back. So, you know, there is risk involved on BLA's part too. They have to be very smart about who they're lending this money to. You know, and really, from BLA's standpoint, they only need a couple of guys to hit it big, and you know, it's worked out for them. So, you know, people are screaming about it and people say, well, you know, they're, they're, uh, capitalizing on the young Hispanic players that come from nothing. And, you know, that, you know, you know, we're, the families are indigent. And so they're, they're, it's predatory, you know, it's not like these kids aren't getting anything in return. They're getting money up front to be able to take care of themselves and their families. And if they make it long-term, Look, for, and I, Fernando Tatis, the difference between making $306 million and making $340 million is nothing. I mean, okay, it's $34 million, but in the grand scheme of things, that was a investment. What Tatis did by signing with BLA was able to get better training and got and maybe that maybe what the money he got from BLA maybe that's the reason he was able to get better training and was able to make it into the major leagues maybe without that he doesn't when BLA signed him he wasn't even on anybody's radar as one of the top 100 prospects in the country so think about that you know so BLA took a chance on the kid and and you know what it, from from Tatis's standpoint he should look at all these people that are criticizing what he did and say you know what mind your own business you know, what's the difference between that and a businessman going to a bank and getting a loan, using that loan to grow their business so that they, are, they you know, make 10 times more money than they did before, and then they got to pay the bank back? What's the difference? Other than maybe these kids don't have to pay the money back if they don't make the majors. I'm going to have to look into that some more, but I don't believe 
they have to pay it back if they don't if they don't make the big roster. You know, or maybe the money that they do make, you know, maybe it, it doesn't come close to paying back what they got from BLA. So, you know, this is just another case of people trying to, you know, sound like, uh, you know, they know that what's best for everybody, you know, and this isn't good. Uh, it worked for Tatis. And if $34 million got him $340 million, it was worth every every penny. 49 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. 51 minutes past the hour uh, here on a Wednesday morning. Don't forget, we've got uh, high school basketball coming up tomorrow at 530. It'll be the Coggenshaw girls at Cromwell. Uh, so I hope you can join us for that one. Jay Hickey will be with me, so I won't have to work this one solo. I'll tell you what, it's been so much fun uh, being able to do live sports again. Although I have to tell you, uh, broadcasting with a mask on is not easy. And, and I know that there's been scientific studies that, you know, you're not deprived of oxygen when you wear a mask. You know, people think that their oxygen levels drop. Right? No, that's not true. But to, to I would be lying if I said to you when I'm in the middle of a call and, you know, you get excited and stuff's happening, that it's not that, that it doesn't feel like you're suffocating sometimes when you have a mask on and you're trying to, to, to talk or, or trying to call a basketball game. It's it's odd. It really is. A uh, couple of football notes before we get out of here this morning. There's plenty of other baseball stuff, but we got lots of time for that. Spring training goes on forever. Um, it appears as though Ben Roethlisberger is going to be heading back to be the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers at least for one more year. Um, the NFL Network yesterday uh, reported that Roethlisberger's agent uh, has said that uh, he is going to come back um, and it's going to, they're going to rework his contract so that the money becomes, uh, in his contract, basically becomes a signing bonus that the Steelers can then prorate towards their salary cap hit over the next five years. His base salary might be as small as $4 million, so his cap hit would be a small one. And then the rest of that money, he'll get, you know, $15 million up front or something, and uh, that will be... Uh, uh, spaced out, but right now uh, his contract carries a $41 million salary cap hit for 2021, so obviously the Steelers are looking to minimize that as much as they can. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but it does sound like Big Ben is going to come back at least for one more run uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And look, I don't know that the Steelers have a lot of choice here. I mean, you know, are they ready to turn it over to, to, to Mason? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, you know, maybe that means the Steelers are going to look for um, his heir apparent in the draft this year. I mean, everybody. it sounds like everybody's going to be looking for a quarterback this year. Um, and then there was this one the other day. Uh, this was great. Cam Newton uh, was on a, uh, a podcast and uh, was talking about Bill Belichick, New England Patriots head coach, and said that Belichick is, quote, the most misunderstood person in all of sports. Um, you know, he said that he's, he said, he, well, to put it in, in uh, it, I, I can't say exactly what he said, but he said he's a cool dude. 
I tell you what, I've heard Bill Belichick called a lot of things. I don't think I've any ever heard anybody call him a cool dude. But he said, look, he understands the game. He's like a historian of the game. And uh, he said, he said, you know, to just sit and down and chat with him, it, it's like he's going back. He's got film. He's literally teaching the game every day. He said, but this guy is funny. He's By the way, he said that uh, Belichick's favorite word is moron. He said, fortunately, he was never a moron. But Bill Belichick loves to call people uh, a moron. And I will say this. I've had a couple of interactions with Bill Belichick uh, at Wesleyan University right up the road here um, when I was doing some broadcasting for them. And you know what? When you get him away from the football field and he's just like kind of in his element, like back at his old school and, you know, and, and he's not this. Not, we're not talking about the Patriots. He's pretty funny and he's got a good smile and he likes to laugh. But when it comes to coaching, he's about as no nonsense as it gets. But Cam Newton thinks that Bill Belichick is a cool dude. I think that's what I'm, I think from now on, I think whenever we have NFL talk here and I have Dan Zampano on, uh, on Fridays during football season. I think I'm just going to start referring to Belichick as the cool dude. <laughs> you know what? And maybe Cam Newton's doing this because he's trying to lobby to come back because he doesn't know that anybody else wants him. And, uh, you know, maybe he's uh, maybe he wants and matter of fact, and he's came right out and said in the podcast that he'd like to come back to New England. He's tired. He said, I'm tired of moving around. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe calling uh Belichick, the cool dude, was uh, the opening salvo in trying to, to return to the Patriots. I don't know. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave this morning with some music from Luke Combs, nice kid from uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, this is Better Together. Have a great day. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.